Hello and welcome to this episode of Travel Stories from the Back Again and Gone podcast, being recorded in the beautiful Aloft Hotel, LaGuardia Airport. Tonight, we're doing Disney Take Two. Thanks for listening. So a bit of a retake from the intro. This is not being recorded at the Aloft recording studio due to its close proximity to the LaGuardia runways, which I had no idea that I was that close. There was just way too much ambient plane noise to do any kind of record recording short of the intro. So we've relocated to the home office of Chateau Relaxa, Florida, and we'll give it a shot from here. As I always try to drink local, I had started last week's recording with a Flower Power IPA from Ithaca Brewing of, of course, Ithaca, New York. Coming in at a 7.2 APV, it earned a solid 3 out of 5 stars. Since I'm back in Florida, I'm going with a Pleasure Chest IPA from Playadilla Brewing out of Titusville. It weighs in at about 6.6 APV and gets the same three out of five stars. So the last three weeks roughly have been spent going in and out of Newark and LaGuardia. LaGuardia has been a new destination and due entirely to the fact that Southwest Airlines has pulled out of Newark Airport. Southwest, like most of the other airlines, have experienced falling revenues, a lot of which is resulting from the grounding of the 737 Maxes, which I saw that it looks like They'll be releasing that ban from Boeing early part of next year. But I think I saw last few days that United's always already planning on losing about 2,500 flights due to that. So the pulling out of Newark is one of the reasons it's just they're going to concentrate on LaGuardia. But I think the bigger reason is the falling revenues. However, I was fortunate enough to fly out of Newark on their final day, which just so happened to be Halloween. And knowing what I do of Southwest Airlines, I'm sure that was totally planned that way. <laughs> a bonus of the flight was that most of the flight attendants were trick-or-treating up and down the aisles, handing out candy to us while we sat in our seats and basically trick-or-treated at about 32,000 feet. So last week, it was a flight into LaGuardia for a meeting out in Long Island and then heading up into Cromwell, Connecticut for a meeting and then back down to Worcester. Massachusetts, and then flying out towards the end of the week out of uh, Boston Logan. So the flight into LaGuardia and being the travel nerd that I am, I always get a bit excited about flying into a new airport. You never know what you're going to find. You know, every airport has its constants. There's always going to be a minimum of four or five Hudson News. Don't forget the in-motion kiosks if you want to load up on some overpriced Bose or Beats headphones. In-motion will certainly help help separate a little bit of that cash from you. And, of course, the food court always has those random Asian restaurants. But every airport also has its uniqueness, right? Nashville sells craft beer. I ended up laying over in Nashville yesterday on my trip home. They sell some decent craft beer and local gin and spirits that you can take with you. Baltimore offers an endless supply of Old Bay seasoning. And you can, of course, buy genuine maple syrup at the Albany International Airport up in Albany. But I'm here to tell you that the only thing I found unique at LaGuardia was the fact that I had to take two buses to get from the airport terminal to my rental car lot. So like I said, I flew into LaGuardia for some meetings out in Long Island, 
which is about a 38-mile drive from the airport. Took me roughly 90 minutes in the pitch black. <laughs> it was just a brutal drive. And looking at the map later on, it looks like there's only a, a couple different ways to get from LaGuardia out to the island. But 90 minutes later in the pitch black, I pulled into the Hampton Inn. And here's an interesting thing about pulling into a hotel that you've never been to, especially at night. First of all, it's dark, right? And you have no idea what kind of neighborhood you're in. Is it an industrial park? Is it a commercial complex? Is there anything close by? Well, the next morning I throw open the curtains to discover that it was a typical Hampton Inn, close to everything, and including that early morning 495 traffic. So Wednesday required me being up in Cromwell, Connecticut, roughly a 140-150 mile drive from Long Island. This required taking 495 back towards Newark, New York, and then taking I-95 up into Connecticut. So for reference, I-95 in the Northeast is just as bad as it is in the Southeast between the traffic and the road conditions. And actually, I think up there it's probably a little bit worse because of the drastic temperature changes, and it just beats the hell out of the roads up there. But looking at the map and looking at Google, this 140-mile jaunt could easily become a three-hour stop-and-go trip from hell. So somewhere late Tuesday night, I decided to preserve a bit of my sanity and booked a slot on the Bridgeport Ferry, which would take me into Connecticut well under 90 minutes. And here's what sold me, and this came directly from their website. The Ferry Experience. There's nothing quite like being out on the open water, enjoying the fresh breeze on your face, the gentle sound of the birds above, the beauty of the blue sea, and the majestic coast coastline as it approaches. <laughs> so I'm sure that was completely put together by the marketing department, and none of the staff on the boat, but I can tell you that I was able to facilitate a go-to meeting while cruising along across the Long Island Sound on a beautiful Sunday, sunny Wednesday morning. Plenty of places to sit. They had a uh, a warm food bar, I guess you could call it, where if you were hungry, you could buy snacks and coffee. But just a great experience. I really didn't know what I was in for. I think the last time I'd been on a ferry was probably early 1970s with my parents when we lived up in the uh, the Baltimore area. At the end of the week, I flew out of Boston Logan, another first. Unfortunately, I didn't get much time to scope it out. I had a 6 a.m. flight, so a lot of the stores were closed. But looking at all the reviews, if you're a fan of lobster rolls, do yourself a favor and visit Legal Seafood because apparently from all the reviews between Yelp and Google, they serve up some amazing ones. Kind of like, I guess, a gas station sushi. So here's a quick test to see if you need a few days at home off the road. So tonight I ran downstairs to get some food as I normally do. Patted my back pocket to make sure I had my room key. A few minutes later, I come back to my room, grab my room key, tap the little card reader on the door. The light turns green. I turn the handle. Nothing. I repeat this same action a few more times. Light turns green. Handle doesn't move. I look at the room number, 714. It's definitely the right room. And the reason why is for a child of the 80s, the number 714 is not easily forgotten. So I get back in the elevator, head downstairs, hand the desk clerk my license and key card, and explain my predicament. <laughs> the desk clerk smiles and said, uh, Mr. Frick, that's a Hilton key card. This is a loft. It's a Marriott property, and that's how you know you need a few days off the road and a few days at home. A few weeks ago, I posted a Disney-themed podcast with the disclaimer of, 
I never thought I'd do any sort of a Disney World post. Well, I'm back with number two. So over the weekend, the entrepreneur celebrated a birthday, and he wanted to spend it at Epcot. And one of the last, not the last, but one of the family visits to Epcot was when he turned 21. And I think both of the kids, when they turned 21, went to Epcot for their birthday. And his plan was to drink around the world. He made it all the way to American Adventure, which is the seventh out of, I think, 13 stops before he tapped out. You know, not bad for somebody just turning 21 who had never tasted alcohol before. Wink, wink. So thankfully, the entrepreneur's birthday falls towards the end of the Epcot Food and Wine Festival. Food and booze. It's the sort of motivation that that I need to go to the mouse house. I'm not a big fan of Disney World, especially when it's hot and sunny. But when you do go to Disney, the first thing that you're going to notice is there is an S-load of hardcore Disney fans. And normally they're wearing some kind of shirts declaring this. So a few of the shirts that I saw was I saw this one on a guy that said, let's get matching Disney shirts, said no man ever. I saw this one on a lady that said, I need a prince in the streets and a beast of the sheets. I saw several of these and they looked like they were, I think they were worn by a just banged up parents that said, I wish this line would move faster. And of course, again, a handload of guys wearing ones that just say, I'm just here to pay for everything. So like I said, I'm not a Disney disciple. What you're going to hear in the next few minutes will contain no secret Disney pieces of information, no discount codes, no fast pass tactics, and no hidden destinations. It's just that's not my thing. But the Food and Wine Festival is exactly like the name implies. Get your eat and drink on. You know, Most of the food samplings, and yes, they're samplings, they're not meals, will run you anywhere from 5 to 10 bucks. A flight of booze will be about $10. My last trip for the festival, the flights were actually four samples of beer or wine. And on this visit, it was three. So uh, cut by 25%. I guess the mouse house is feeling a little bit of the uh, the financial pinch. So one of the shirts that I did see was that said there are two types of people in the world, those who start with Mexico and those who start with Canada. Mexico being on one side of the country map when you go into Epcot and Canada being on the other. So today we started in Canada and for no other reason that when we went into the park, we veered to the right. <laughs> so in Canada, I went with the wild mushroom beef filet mignon. I'm a big fan of beef. It could be cheap. It could be choice cut. Doesn't matter. I'll go with it. The filet was drenched in this just flavorful and tasty truffle butter sauce, which actually took the uh, the filet to a whole different level. From there, we headed into France for some croissant en escargot which as the name implies was snail croissants and that was covered in a garlic and parsley mixture over the top. You know, escargot I can take or leave. Uh, something about it makes me feel like it's always fancy when I eat it, but it, it's not something that I don't think I'd ever would take the time to prepare at home. But the uh, croissant en escargot was paired with a classic creme brulee. And when you think about how many of these dishes they have to make, I was thinking about that because everybody seems to be a fan of creme brulee. It's got to be thousands, if not tens of thousands, every single day. The twist on the France, French creme brulee was the bottom of it was coated in a chocolate hazelnut cream. So think Nutella across the bottom, which added a little bit of a different flavor profile to it, but did not take anything away from the dish. 
From there, we headed over into Ireland where we stopped in for a warm Irish cheddar cheese and stout dip that was accompanied with this wonderful brown bread for dipping. Um, I love beer cheese dip. I make it all the time with a little bit of beer, some cream cheese, and the Kraft Old English cheese. This was great. You could really taste the stout in it. It really added a a kind of upkick to the flavor profile. We also grabbed a couple of full-size Guinness drafts while we were there. And for me, Guinness has to be on draft. Their Guinness mad scientists can create all these little carbonated can inserts that they want, but it will never duplicate the taste of a genuine Guinness draft. Every year, Epcot adds a few new exhibits, and one of them was the Appleseed Orchard, which, as the name implies, is all things apple right down to the apple-flavored popcorn. It was here that we really dug into our first flights of alcohol. On the beer side, it was from MIA, an apple Belgian-style triple ale, which was just okay. Uh, When you get into triples, they're just a lot of times they're a little bit too heavy for me. Even though it was a three or four ounce glass, it was just just not to my liking. Playadilla brought us the apple pie beer, which was pretty damn good. I'm not a huge fan of fruit-infused beers or sours, but this one was actually tasty. And then that flight finished up with a Sea Dog Green Apple Ale. Again, a little bit too sour for my liking. The second flight consisted of Cider Boys Limoncello Hard Cider, Collective Arts Brewing Cherry Apple Hard Cider, and Woodchuck Hard Cider Spiced Apple. Uh, the ladies of the group tended to lean more towards the uh, the ciders than they did the beer, but everybody seemed pretty happy by the time we walked out. From there, we wandered over to Future World, where we found Earth Eats, which offered a few vegan choices. They had their Impossible Burger Sliders with a wasabi cream and spicy Asian slaw and a sesame seed bun. Sounds like a McDonald's commercial as well as their Impossible Cottage Pie, which contained impossible ground meat with carrots, mushrooms, and peas, topped with mashed cauliflower, white bean, and mozzarella. You know, for being vegan dishes, both were okay. I don't, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to get to the point in my life where I'm going to go, hey, let's go eat an Impossible Burger, but they definitely weren't off-putting. And, of course, they offered a wide array of kombucha, uh, which we all passed on. (laughs) I think from there, we wandered over towards Germany, with plans on eating brats, uh, the entrepreneur has just recently gotten back from about a three-week uh, European vacation where they actually did spend a little bit of time in Germany for the legit, real, honest-to-God Oktoberfest. Uh, so we had plans on eating some uh, some brats and kraut. Uh, just the lines were just too long. So we settled on some pretzels, and they were as big as your head, some of the biggest pretzels I've ever seen, and they paired perfectly with spicy mustard. I don't remember what we drank in Germany. I'm going to guess it was a typical German beer. I know that they did not have any Hofbrauhaus beer, uh, which the entrepreneur had really hoped to find. A great place for shopping as well. If you need a beer stein or some Lederhosen, this is the place. American Adventure hosted Hops and Barley. Here we feasted on some New England lobster roll and actually pretty big pieces of lobster uh, with a fresh herb mayonnaise on a roll. They also had uh, New Brunswick Sliders, which was slow-braised beef brisket with a horseradish cream and crispy fried onions, again on a roll. And the beers were all American. So it was uh, from North Coast Blue Star Wheat, which you can find 
Three daughters offered up brewing a wake coffee blonde ale, which I saw at Publix this week. They're out of St. Petersburg. They do a great tour if you ever get on that side of the state. I think I talked about Three Daughters in my beer tour of Florida. And, of course, uh, Heavy Seas out of Baltimore, Maryland, offered up their American and APA, which is just an American pale ale. Eh, okay, out of the three, I would go back to the uh, uh, Three Daughters Brewing Awake Coffee Blonde Ale. My favorite Epcot stop is always Japan. I've spent basically my whole career working for Japanese companies. I find the culture truly amazing. I find their attention to detail uh, second to no one. Here we started out with some teriyaki chicken buns, which was nothing more than a steamed bun filled with chicken veggies and a sweet teriyaki sauce. Mix that with some sake on draft. Japan Marketplace offers some really cool stuff. You can purchase traditional teapots, traditional wind chimes. They even have oyster tanks where you can get an oyster shucked in hopes of finding a pearl. For a little bit of fun, you can participate in the Remy Ratatouille Hide and Squeak Scavenger Hunt. So as you enter the park, you can purchase a map that comes with a sticker book, and then you search for 15 little Remy statues hidden throughout the park. Each statue is accompanied by a different item. It could be a wine bottle, cloves of garlic, etc. Each statue has a matching sticker. You place that on the map, and then once you're done, the completed maps can be turned in over at Disney Traders, where you get to choose a prize. I think we ended up coming home with an insulated tumbler. But a lot of fun, kind of walking around the park as you entered each one of the continents looking for Remy. Disney also offers a free passport book that you can fill with stamps along your way. So you don't have to spend your whole time eating and drinking and shopping. But uh, it's still, I think it's probably one of my favorite parks of all of the Disney parks. And, you know, as much as I'm not a big Disney fan for the money that you spend, and yes, you're going to spend money. Short of the food, I think you get a pretty good value for what they provide. So next week, I think I'm going to put together the gift guide for the year, include some of my best travel purchases from the previous year. So look forward to that probably in the next seven to 10 days. This one was a little bit short. There you have it. Safe travels and thanks for listening. Hey, wait a second. Don't go. Make sure you check out all the blogs over at HypeAmerica.com. From food to travel to just general life humor, we cover all the topics. Thanks again.